At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. Hey, and welcome back to Political Breakfast. I'm Brian Robinson, alongside my buddy Theron Johnson. Back with you this week after being gone for a little spring break respite, at least in my case, that's what I was doing last week. My daughter had spring break, so I was on a Disney cruise once again in the Caribbean, uh, enjoying that time away. And it was like 80 degrees every day. It was perfect. Lisa is on vacation this week. Maybe she's getting some sun rays somewhere. Perfect week to do that as we sit here in near freezing temperatures on Tuesday morning. Darren, what were you doing last week? Well, I was uh, not necessarily um, on spring break the entire week, but as you know, um, both of our uh, children go to the Atlanta Speed School, so that was their spring break. So it forced parents and teachers to take that time off, which, by the way, Brian, correct me if I'm wrong, was a little early this year, I thought, uh, being the first week in, in March. But I uh, was traveling and, and trying to you know continue to develop business, but um, I think you would agree with me. I listened to the show last week with Martha and Saba and Lily and uh, and Lisa, and just shout out to the women who really held it down and did a fantastic job. Um, you know, I think we we knew that they would definitely be better uh, at saying certain things than we would, particularly in Women's History Month. But um, it was just a really good show. So just hats off to, to Saba and Lisa and, um, and Martha and Lily. Always thank you for doing a fantastic job of producing this, this great podcast. Yeah, I listened to the show, too, and it was it was fantastic. I would say Martha and Saba's commentary on the Public Safety Training Center was about as good as I've heard anywhere as far as providing a nuanced but comprehensive look at what's happening down there during these days of controversy where we've had violence. We're seeing more news this week about the family of the guy who died on site back in January. So it's an, it's an ongoing issue, one that's still producing a lot of news angles, but I thought that their approach to it was tough, but, but fair. They kind of, you know, there and you always say balls and strikes. I think that they laid the blame where they thought it should be talking particularly about uh, communication around the issue. One thing Martha said that I want to echo is let's not call this cop city. That is the language, the phrasing of people who are opposed to the public safety training center. Let's not use their language because we're amplifying that point of view when we do it. It is the public safety training center. Let's call it that. Well, Brian, you're absolutely right. And and Saba um, and Martha, but particularly Saba, I mean, she did a really good job of just being very honest about this situation. And and I thought her ability to say, look, this is not just a city of Atlanta problem, which happens to be located in unincorporated Cab County. Leaders have got to be very, very mindful of the messaging around this because it could have national implications at a time where we know Atlanta 
is planning to do uh, a lot. But I want to give a special shout out to Councilman Antonio Lewis. He's a newly elected city councilman um, in, in southeast Atlanta. And Brian, you know, he didn't he didn't hold back. He said something that a lot of people, I think, have been thinking uh, and, and that haven't had the courage to say. And I'm going to kind of paraphrase his sort of um, way of framing this. But he was saying, look, you know, we're all for peaceful protests. I mean, people want to peacefully protest. But don't allow this situation to be totally hijacked when you have good environmental lists and people who really were trying to protect the South River Forest. But he took it a step further, uh, B-Rob. He said, look, I believe that those people were black and brown out there doing what they're doing. You, you would definitely probably have more arrests, but you probably would have more violent arrests. And it, and it sort of was a way of inferring, you know, if, if this were if these people were a different color. Um, would the police officers who, by the way, are just being brave and just being courageous and trying to do the right thing. And, and they definitely put their lives on the line for us every day. But would we see a different outcome? And, and I think that he kind of expressed this in an opinion piece that was written by the AJC. And so now I believe that these leaders are going to come together. You're going to probably see some really, really um, swift action next week um, dealing with sort of making sure that this transition that we're going into at a time where Mayor Dickens and CEO Michael Thurman came together uh, to try to move this forward. Uh, I think you're going to see some some changes made because I think we both agree, Brian, that the violence has got to stop. Um, we got we, It's got to stop immediately. Yeah. And look, I, I think, you know, Sava said something to the effect of uh, Democrats playing into Republicans' trap. And she was talking about prosecutors who are caught up in this debate about whether or not they're prosecuting crimes and doing their jobs, et cetera. But, you know, I would argue this the same thing has happened here. This this whole the politics of this issue on a statewide regional level have played to the benefit of Republicans because Republicans look like the same voice on, on this. Say, no, we can't have squatters. No, we can't have activist slash violent domestic terrorist throwing Molotov cocktails at earth-moving equipment on site. We can't have protests in the streets of Atlanta that turn into rocks going through windows downtown. We can't have any of that. And so it ha- it really has played well politically for Republicans on the statewide level. You know, you're seeing Governor Kemp on national TV talking about it. You're seeing Attorney General Carr on national TV talking about it. And they are able to post up against the perfect character foils, right? You mentioned the, the race issue. They're getting to post up against out-of-state, ultra-leftist, privileged white people, right? I mean, it's like the perfect character foils for Republican politicians. Yeah, but, you know, the thing that Saba, and, and she's clearly able to defend herself, and I think she did a really good job of, stating where she was on it. But, you know, ultimately, this is a multi, multi-jurisdictional multi uh, problem that is going to require a multi-jurisdictional solution. And so while you're right, you're, you're, you know, the attorney general and the governor have definitely played to their politics on this. Um, you know, the people who are going to actually get this fixed has got to be the mayor, uh, who's a Democrat, and it's going to be the CEO, uh, who's a Democrat, uh, but they got to work with the GBI. They have to work with District Attorney Sheriff Boston. Uh, they have to work with the governor's office uh, to make sure that this transition and building this this training facility is is the right thing to do and it's smooth. And we got to protect the contractors and the people who are out there. So, look, um, I know we can talk about this all day, uh, but I know we want to try to maybe 
catch some of the things that are going on, catch people up on some of the things that's going on under the Gold Dome and and uh, just kind of, you know, make sure that we are giving our listeners uh, sort of up-to-date information on what's going on in Georgia. Well, I want to go back. I always like to do kind of a, a test on ourselves a little bit because we're on here as people who understand how the political process works. And going into the session, both of us felt really strongly that this was the moment for sports betting in Georgia, that it finally had the critical mass in the General Assembly. There was this letter through the Metro Chamber from former Supreme Court Justice Harold Melton that said we don't need a constitutional amendment. That thinking seemed to set in. It seemed to get some traction. And we were talking about a minimalist approach, no constitutional amendment, no casinos, no horse racing, just basically having this app on your phone that allows you to bet on sports. Or if you're at a Braves game or at a Hawks game, there's some interactive fan experience where you're able to have a wager. One of the reasons why all the sports teams here in Georgia are pushing for this but it didn't make it over by crossover day, which is something that's been discussed here on the show before. But since the last show, Speaker Burns spoke to the Atlanta Press Club and was like, well, 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 don't uh, don't worry. This may come back up. It may not be quite dead yet. And, uh, you know, just days before Burns had said that this wasn't the year for it. So there's a bit of a, t- a change there, you know, it could be reflecting the conversations that he's hearing and having at the Capitol. So what do you think are the chances of it coming back? What does it get attached to given that it's, you know, didn't make it over crossover? Well, Brian, you know, we had to talk about this and you're right. I mean, if I was uh, legally betting in Georgia on the app, um, I would have definitely, um, uh, put a lot of money on the fact that this was the year and this still may be the year. Um, as you know, I had the, the honor and pleasure of working on this last year with a group of, of uh, lobbyists and you know, sports teams were all involved. The Metro Chamber were, was involved. And then, you know, you also got to point out the fact that while, you know, sports betting is complex because you got to make sure that people can actually use um, the apps on their phone, but it's also be robbed, which apps, you know, you got FanDuel, you got, all these other, you know, prize picks. You got all these different apps, and so those folks are trying to figure out that what's in the bill. How did how does it benefit them? But also, you have the sports teams who are saying, "Hey, we want enough licenses where people can really have a quote unquote fan experience uh, when they're betting." But I, I still think, you know, the fact that if you had to ask me on the day of crossover when you sort of saw Speaker Burns's comments, who didn't shut it down, he just say, you know, maybe it wasn't just kind of an appetite. Uh, in the in the house at that moment, but then to go to the Atlanta Press Club and was interviewed by our very own Lisa Ram, he said, "Hey, it's not dead yet," which means that hey, if the Speaker of the House is saying there may be a path, and everybody needs to k- keep their powder dry, um, for the folks who are working on this this year, that definitely signals um, some some hope. But as we talked about privately, Brian, I think where it really comes down to sports betting, look, we've been talking about this for decades, um, or at least maybe half a decade. I don't <laughs> yeah, want to yeah. too so for the last five, six years, we've been talking about sports betting, right? People yeah. are clearly illegally betting on games in Georgia. Yeah. Let's figure out a way. Particularly this week, Baron. I mean, we got yeah. March Madness starting up. Yeah. I mean, yeah. billions and of dollars. At million, millions of dollars that we're losing to places like Tennessee and other yeah. states where people are literally are driving to the border and going and placing their bets um, where we could be recovering that revenue in Georgia. But but I think that 
what I'm hearing um, at the Capitol is is that there there is a path which bill that would be uh, the language would be added on. Didn't really get that information. But I do want to compliment the Democrats and the Republicans for at least being honest with each other around need space. You know, we know how popular Georgia lottery is, but um, how would that be funded? Uh, there's been this conversation about making sure that rural um, counties get their fair share of this revenue that could be generated. Also, technical schools, HBCUs. And so once you figure out the revenue stream and how it's going to be divided, then you got to make sure that the politics are right, because while we do support sports betting, I go on a record for supporting it, there is a negative stigma that comes along with that. And usually the people who are poor uh, bet the most and they're not, you know, not always going to win. So I think we got to address the stigma that comes along with it. But um, there's, you know, there there is definitely um, some some willingness out there to try to get this done this year. But if definitely doesn't happen this year, I think next year will will, will definitely be the year for it. Well, the reason why I think it could still happen this year is Speaker Burns's comments. The fact that he is open to it means that it's got a pathway to get into the floor in the House, and we know in the Senate that the presiding officer, Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones, has been a longtime advocate on this issue, carried this legislation when he was a state senator in the past. And Governor Kemp has decided he's not going to spend any political capital on this issue. He's just said, I will let the will of the legislature work its way and uh, and if, if they pass it, I'll sign it. Basically, is what I, I read from what he said on it. So there's not somebody on the second floor, uh, that shorthand for the governor's office, shutting this down. And you've got people on the third floor uh, in the House and Senate who still are going to be pushing these people in very important positions. I don't normally bet on anything because I'm really bad at it. I mean, I would I, I would be the person who lost. You made some money in the national championship though, right? I did. Yeah, I yeah. did. Um, I When I was in Vegas before the national championship, I bet on the dogs uh, on the spread. I bet on Stetson Bennett getting at least uh, 14 or 13 yards rushing and then him getting yeah. to passing TD. So, so I won across the board by halftime, right? And so I'm thinking like, <laughs> This so is, you started drinking in the third quarter. You right? were already yeah, this is this is the easiest money I've ever made. <laughs> Everyone should do this. <laughs> um, I wish I had bet a lot more than I did. Yeah, but it's it is it, it is a fun thing, and uh, we're seeing other red states do it, and I think that's going to give uh, Republican legislators who are going to have some opposition to this back in their districts, particularly in rural areas. People particularly in places where there is a religious conservatism about uh, the, the politics, I, that certainly is going to be an, an element of all of this. Some people just don't want more gambling in Georgia, and I completely understand that. But my thing is this. Here are the needs. You, you mentioned needs-based scholarships. I think Republicans more and more are in favor of doing something on that. Two, we're going to need a billion to two billion dollars a year in new spending to keep up with the freight and logistics infrastructure that is falling way behind. Look at all the trucks on the road, uh, all of the Amazon packages delivered to your front door. That's going to take a lot of investment to keep that going. And we've got a healthcare access crisis as well. We need we need more workforce. We need more. Uh, funding mechanisms to keep these the doors open in places mm -hmm. in rural parts of the state. So we have some big, big stuff to tackle here in the next few years. 
Well, real quick, Brian, I know we want to get to another subject, but I want to quote the speaker directly. You know, Speaker Burns is a man who's very careful with his words. But, you know, his quote was Monday night may not have been the right time, best time for sports betting. And for our listeners, Monday night was crossover day. This was when you have to have a piece of legislation cross over into another uh, chamber in order for it to really have life uh, of passing. But then he also said that, you know, hey, we're here in a 40 day session. Anything can happen. We'll keep the door uh, open. But then he specifically talked about the state's pre-K program, uh, which is funded by the Georgia Lottery. And this will be an important benefit, I think, in his mind for basically trying to legalize sports betting. So I'm sure that folks are trying to really figure out a way. You know, uh, our good friend Gretchen is over there. She does a fantastic job with the Georgia Lottery. Mm -hmm. But pre-K is something that also needs the proper funding and so important uh, for, you know, our young people. You know, you know this, Brian, the, the, the uh, impressionable stages of life before a, a kid is that zero to three. And I even believe now zero to six. Uh, but, you know, having more funding for pre-K programs in the state of Georgia and, and tying that to why we should legalize sports betting, I think, is one of the many things that can be added on the narrative of why it should pass this session. Yep. Let me ask you this, because I, I have an answer for myself, but what are you watching over the next two weeks? We're, we're two weeks away from this all being over. Sunny die is the end of March. So what are you watching? What do you want to see get over the finish line by sunny die? Well, there's a few things that I'm, I'm, I'm watching. Um, and, you know, we've talked about this and, and there's, there's a mental, a mental health bill, house bill 520. Yep. Uh, and this is a bill that basically seeks to recruit more mental health care workers and find ways to help people, you know, who basically are bouncing between hospitals and and people who are honestly kind of in and out of jail. Um, yep. We know that mental illness is a big deal in our homeless community. So this bill is is definitely one that I'm, I'm watching. Um, also, House Bill 462. Uh, as a juvenile crimes bill. And this would raise the age of uh, filing adult criminal charges against people from 17 uh, to 18. And you and I both know that folks make mistakes. Um, a lot of our teenagers make mistakes. And so that's that's one that I think I'm looking close to, uh, look, looking paying close attention to. And then I think the other one that, uh, again, I'm, I'm kind of monitoring um, just to make sure um, that I understand it because my, my mother-in-law now is an owner of an electric vehicle, um, but it's house built. <laughs> yeah, she, she switched up, man. She got tired of paying all that gas. And uh, yep. and she listened to the podcast, by the way, too, Brian. She, she told me that the other day, so I hope she hears this, that uh, yep. she's, she's loving her new Tesla. But uh, I, I, I actually, I ran into your mother-in-law at Speech School that's right. not too long ago. She, she, she picks up her favorite human being, our, our her grandson Tyson. Uh, yeah. <laughs> her favorite day. But yeah, House Bill 406 will allow electric vehicle owners to purchase electricity to charge their vehicles um, by the amount of power they use instead of the amount of time spent charging. And so these are just you know some that are there. And then lastly, I know you have a few, but you know this felony riot bill, which is House Bill 505, passed the House. A lot of Democrats. Um, sort of push back on this, but this would make it a crime of rioting. A uh, would make it a felony instead of a misdemeanor. Yep. Um, and so it's that was one that was really debated over in the House yep. that picked up a little bit of traction. But but what are you watching? Well, I want to see that rioting bill get passed. I think that's a great political issue for Republicans. Again, as I mentioned earlier, perfect post up on a character foil. The people who move in or fly in from out of state and then 
go throw rock through windows at the 191 building downtown. I mean, they're the perfect people to go after, which is what this bill does. Uh, I am looking, and we talked about school choice a bit when you and I did the live event with the state bar a few weeks ago. Um, and I, I've become more passionate about parent choice in recent years because I have a daughter in a specialty school and she needs to be uh, where she is. She's getting the the grounding and the curriculum and the education that she needs for the way her mind works. And I understand that she would not have had the opportunity to get the education if she was, if she could only go to her local public school. And so that's really made me just a little more zealous in my advocacy for empowering parents to put their kids in the right place. And there's one bill that passed the house that will create uh promise scholarships. And this allows parents to take the $6,000 that is the state portion of their child's education dollars and apply it toward public school. Now, granted, $6,000 isn't going to get you very far in Metro Atlanta, but it will get you a long, long ways in lower cost areas of the state. We got to figure out what we, what we do about Metro Atlanta, but I'm excited to see that advancing. And in the house, they pass a higher threshold for the tax credit that funds private school scholarships. So we're advancing the ball when it comes to empowering parents. And the other thing I'm looking at is something that I got really interested in when I worked for Governor Deal. You know, when we first passed the cannabis oil legislation to allow uh, people who have seizures and other ailments had this cannabis oil, uh, I got to know these families who have these horrible healthcare situations, you know, children who have multiple seizures a day, any of which could be fatal, just, I mean, just terrifying. And we were able to get the medication that they needed. We have thousands of Georgia families who need access to medical marijuana. It is legal in Georgia. We have passed the law several years ago, but the products still aren't in people's hands. And I want us to make sure that the legislature prioritizes making sure we, we, we end all this litigation that's going on and get the product in the hands of the people who qualify for it, who need this medication. And right now it's all being held up and let's, let's get it done. Brian. Um, I also want to, um, I want to give a shout out to our good friend, Jason Estevez, who's also working on a bill. Um, excuse me, Senator, I can't remember the bill number, but I know it's um, enhancing the ability for state employees to utilize their health savings accounts to give them more opportunities to expand how much money they can save. So that's another one that I'm watching. And then also, this is one that has kind of been flowing below the radar screen, but this renter's rights, uh, House Bill 404. Yeah will require rental properties to be fit for human habitation when a renter signs a lease. Uh, we, we've heard a lot about these absentee uh, landlords and, and people living in, in a horrific uh, conditions uh, and dilapidated houses and absentee landlords. And so definitely wanted to shout that one out. But Brian, I want to kick it back over to you. This is one that I know that you are familiar with, and I'm trying to understand it. I've seen a lot of activity about this at the Capitol. Uh, the bill I'm referring to is House Bill 189. It's titled, you know, truck weights. Um, this will, I guess, allow trucks carrying lodging, farming, mining commodities to weigh up to 88,000 pounds. Explain, explain to us a little bit of what's going on there. I know a lot of people are working on this at the Capitol. 
Yeah, absolutely. Who would have ever thought? And I actually, full disclosure, I am working on this issue um, uh, with with a coalition, and it's a fascinating debate. When I first got brought on to it, I never imagined that it would become like one of the more controversial talk and talked about issues of the session. But when you step back, it, it is something that's in our faces. And that's the stuff that we talk about, the issues that are in our faces. And whether you're on I-85, 285, or on Main Street in your your town, like big trucks are something that we all see and and deal with on a daily basis. So you've got those industries you mentioned that are wanting to get uh, bigger trucks. They say we don't have enough truck drivers, workforce issues, which every industry right now in Georgia is talking about. Uh, it, it creates efficiencies. There'll be fewer trucks on the road if we can have bigger loads. And then on the anti side, you're saying, you know, if an 88,000 pound truck takes 20 feet longer to stop, bigger trucks lead to more accidents and to more fatal accidents. And then you have a coalition of cities and county leaders, Republicans, Democrats, regionally diverse, uh, certainly racially diverse, who are saying, look, county and city taxpayers pay for the roads here. And these bigger trucks are eroding the roads and breaking the shoulders and going to cost us a lot of money. You know, Russell McMurray, the DOT uh, commissioner, said that this is an issue that keeps him up at night, that maintenance money would go directly to this as opposed to building new infrastructure. So those are how the two side, um, sides come out. This passed the House by two votes, so mm-hmm. very, very tight margin. So we'll see what happens in the Senate. There was a committee hearing this morning, but no vote was taken on the Senate side. So an issue to watch, certainly, because it's one of those things that does impact people's lives. Well, thank you for explaining that. And um, I know we're going to segue into the next topic here, but I I do want, and you touched on this a little bit when we referenced Salva's um, comments about a national narrative, but this bill uh, that was introduced, I think is sponsored by um, our good friend, Houston Gaines, uh, putting this oversight and restrictions on district attorneys. And I just, you know, want to say that while I think Houston is a great guy, you know, I know you've close to him and, and, and uh, he's the future of the Republican party. But I think this bill definitely has some challenges. I strongly believe that we live in a representative democracy. And I think that voters uh, vote for who they want their district attorney to be. Now, I, do, I, I have listened to this a little bit more, Brian, that you do have um, some valid issues where communities want the district attorneys to be a little tougher, quote unquote, on some of the people that are prosecuting. But I think we have to leave it up to these women and men to use their best judgment and working with the judge to give people a second chance who deserve it. Now, I'm against giving people seven and eighth chances that are the same <laughs> crime. Let me go on record for saying that. But I think that you're a, out. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you can know, give people second and third chances. But I think, you know, we have elections. Um, and I think you have to let the people decide on who they want their district attorneys to be. So uh, I just wanted to say that's another one for our listeners um, that – we are paying very close attention to is, is past the house, right, Brian? I think it's over in the Senate now. That's right. right. And I actually got a text from Houston as we were recording that uh, Houston was one of my students at UGA when I taught <laughs> over there, and he's now in leadership. It's absolutely incredible. But what's driving Houston's leadership on that issue is the fact that he and you are from the same hometown, from Athens, where District Attorney Deborah Gonzalez has become a lightning rod, a controversial figure. 
you've got judges saying she's not coming to court in a in a professional way, in a way that's prepared, delaying cases. She was one of those prosecutors that came out early in her term and said, eh, here's some crimes I'm not going to prosecute. And she said things to local law enforcement like, gangs don't exist. You know, So someone who's a bit out of touch, maybe totally out of touch, and creating some real problems over there, now being sued by a business owner in Athens for, quote-unquote, not doing her job. So, you know, Republicans, regardless of where you stand on the merits of the issue, and I know last week Martha actually raised some of her concerns about the yeah. legislation. Yeah, she had some I, concerns. She wasn't all the way there. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I get it. I get what she's saying. Uh, at the same time, if I step back and just look at the politics of this, if you ask Georgians right now what's their biggest issue, obviously inflation, economy, that's going to still be number one. But crime is still way up there as far as things that voters want to see action on. And Republicans are, again, able to post up on elected officials who are perceived, and in many cases are, soft on violent crime, not going after violent offenders, having a uh, a revolving door of the criminal justice system. And that is why this is a politically good issue for Republicans. It's able to say, look, these guys uh, on the other side of the aisle aren't going to keep your family safe, and so we are. And I, it's good politics regardless of where you stand on the issue. Yeah, but I just think that at a time where, you know, Republicans like to pick and choose when they want to have local control, um, I think to say that, you know, Deborah Gonzalez is her name, the district attorney in Athens, who I've defended previously, but I've heard a lot of pushback. And so I would encourage the district attorney to uh, continue to communicate with her her constituents about why she's making the choices that she's made because she was elected to go do a job. And as you know, Brian, Athens is a very interesting town, uh, city. Um, but I, I, I think that this characterization that uh, Democratic elected DAs can't be tough on crime, it's just not true. You know, we've seen district attorneys who are Democrats all across the state who are, who are tough on crime and who are putting bad people in jail. Matter of fact, in Fulton County, Republicans revered Fonnie Willis uh, for putting people in jail and saying she would until she started going after Donald Trump. And now, all of a sudden, she's this bad person who, you know, is administering this witch hunt investigation with this special grand jury. But anyway, I just thought that was, you know, I, I, I don't I don't support it. Uh, I think that it's it, I agree with Martha that uh, it, it goes a little, maybe a little too far. I don't want to put words in her mouth, but ultimately trying to, to do the job of the attorney general, um, who, by the way, did catch a bad DA down in Glenn County. Remember that one, B-Rob, where, you know, who was Republican, who, who was Republican, but had yeah. we not had the footage uh, of Ahmaud Arbery being murdered, uh, that case would have never been brought to light. And that district attorney will probably still be, still be the district attorney uh, in Glenn County. Well, listen, I know we are, Get ready to close. There's so much to talk about here. Um, I know you probably wanted to talk a little bit about, I mean, we touched on the the new evidence with the uh, victim of the shooting over at the Atlanta training facility. I know that the family had a press conference, uh, but do you want to uh, maybe talk about that or as we close, uh, touch a little bit on Senate Bill 140, which is the transgender medical care for minors uh, bill? I, I'll say... I- 
when it comes to the news conference for the guy who was shot in January, shot and killed in Jan- in January, you know, their ar- their argument is give us more of the. Body I think cam. his name is Manuel Tehran or Tehran, so I want to make sure we get his name in there. Yeah, and it's called yeah. like Tortuguita or to- yeah, Manuel <laughs> Piaz Tehran. Yeah, so I just want to make sure. And I'm he's sorry he's called like by some nickname, like some non. Uh, yeah, I think it starts with a T. Tortuguito or something like that. Yeah, yeah, and. The fact is, you know, the, the attorney general, the GBI have said, don't release this footage just yet. My take on that is let the legal process play out. All of this information will come out at some time. Let the investigation take its course. And I do think there's going to be transparency. There is going to be public access to what happened, at least as much as what we have. Not everybody there was wearing body cam footage and what has been released so far doesn't show what happened in the shooting so let that process play out and uh, and, and see what and see what happens i'm uh yeah still going to be from the place of yeah if this guy shot a police officer i i don't yeah. you know that's really hard to, to justify you know impossible to justify yeah and, I, I know i know we you know um, real quick on that i think the thing that really uh i stand by look the violence has got to stop um, we cannot continue to have the violence that we've seen in the city of Atlanta. But I would say, Brian, that this new evidence, which I think the autopsy showed, and I think it did show that um, this man had his hands raised, um, it, it now leads to more questions that I'm sure the family has and the protesters. And so, you know, um, while I, I think that they have the right to peacefully protest about what's happening, um, don't support the violence. But now that this new footage has been released and new autopsy reports uh this is fire to the few you know fuel to the fire uh with these these uh, people who are really protesting against cops let me just say this i think this training facility um protest has led to the violence is more about protesting against police officers than it is maybe protesting against the training facility and i think the training facility is a, is a part of it but a lot of these folks who are protesting now and vandalizing um, you know, streets and, and buildings and throwing bombs at, at police officers and all that. I think this is more of an anti-cop uh, um, group. But I know yeah. I agree. I, I 100% agree. And when we talk about training police officers, when making sure that they're professional and they're prepared, they know how to de-escalate. All of these things are hugely important to protecting our community. And one thing in Atlanta, the most vulnerable to crime, violent crime communities are black and brown communities. They they bear the brunt of this crime. Uh, and looking at the commentary coming out of 2020, those communities bear the brunt of uh, when bad things happen with police officers, right? That's we, We've heard that for years. You, you have testified to that as, as a black man, your perspective on it. Let's make sure these people are well-trained. Let's make sure that we minimize the amount of negative interaction between law enforcement and people in our community, uh, that they're able to de-escalate situations as opposed to escalate them, as we saw happen in Memphis recently for no apparent reason. It was just the oddest, most tragic thing to watch. Let's get this done. And you mentioned the transgender bill. Obviously, this is an issue that is taking over the country. This kind of came out of nowhere. It was just like 2014 that we legalized uh, same-sex marriage across the country. And then immediately, 
is started going into these transgender issues that uh, really weren't on the on the radar all that long ago, and now are absorbing all of this oxygen in in the political sphere. And I'm still trying to figure out like how the politics of all this play out. Uh, I know conservatives have severe uh, uh, reservations in opposition to allowing children to make lifelong decisions when it comes to gender affirming surgery when you know people change over their childhood and teenage years into adulthood i do think we we need to be careful about uh, protecting these children i know most of these parents are in really tough positions i don't know what i would do if I was in their shoes and I have empathy about that. And I have a lot of empathy about the mental health issues and the depression and the suicide rates. Uh, I want to find a solution to those things. I care about these kids, but I, I do share the views of many of my fellow Republicans that saying that just do whatever you want as a six year old, as an eight year old, uh, just has some severe problems that's a, there's some real issues with that sorry about that um yeah so i think the, the one of the reasons why we wanted to have this debate and not even really debate like conversation brian because i mean look it's going on at the state legislature and um you know there's a lot of people who believe that legislators uh have no place uh, in the doctor's office, right? I mean, these are these are issues that families have to make. But you know what is interesting is that at a time when we thought the legislative session was going to sort of be focused on issues like maybe you know Medicaid expansion, expanding the economy, EV, sports betting, um, we knew that you were always going to have something in there regarding you know voting. Uh, this was the sort of quote unquote social wedge issue. That, as you mentioned, many Republicans are engaging in all across the country. So, you know, we, we've seen this happen when it comes to the debate around women's health. That was something that kind of has, has been talked about a little bit. But um, parents are ultimately trying to figure out how to make this this make sense. And and when this legislation comes up, uh, it opens up to many more health care decisions, I think, that we need to talk about in the state legislature. I mean, if this is really about protecting kids and helping them, then let's address some of the most important issues that I think kids are facing right now, like poverty. Um, if we want to deal with the issue around uh, adequate health care for, for children, then let's have this conversation about fully expanding Medicaid. So, you know, one may think that this may be a Republican's effort to try to throw some red meat um, at their Republican base at the expense of vulnerable children. Uh, and, and, and I have to say this. I mean, I hear from, you know, State Senator Sally Harrell, uh, who's a state senator from DeKalb County, uh, who is the mother of a trans, transgender child, uh, talks about the, the high risk of mental illness, but also suicide that goes into this when they feel like they're being targeted and bullied uh, and being discriminated upon. And so this is something that I think will continue to be talked about. Um, you know, both sides have their argument of why they want it not to be passed and why it should be passed. But I just think that we could spend just as much time, as not more time, dealing with the issues around poverty, dealing with the issues around pre-K, as we talked about with our kids, dealing with the issues 
around healthcare. Um, but but the, but this is something that um, the Republicans have introduced. It is going to continue to force also corporations, Brian, as we've talked about publicly, to really um, be prepared that if this starts to trigger more of a national conversation that is focusing on Georgia, um, many of these employers have transgender human beings who are employees at their companies. And how you handle that if it kind of gets to a MLB type situation where companies are forced to come out and say something, uh, I hope they're having those conversations now internally about how to deal with this very, very important, um, you know, subject matter. And I think the last thing I'll say as we close, you know, you're right, Brian. Children at a young age uh, have to make tough decisions. And the question is, is this a decision that they should be able to make on their own? And there are parents out there that support um, children's making decisions to to, uh, deal with transgender um, uh, transformations. But also... Uh, I can see the argument that, like, hey, the parent has got to, you know, try to help this child uh, who's young, who may not be able to maybe see everything, how this is going to affect them long term. But uh, but hearing State Senator Sally Harrell's testimony, who's living it every single day and talking about that um, experience, really made me show have a level of empathy um, with her in this issue. So, but as a parent, as you know, I mean, we want to do everything we can to support our, our, our children. Um, but this is one that I think that, you know, it's, it's become politicized and doctors and parents and families usually have these decisions made internally. But now when lawmakers start injecting themselves, um, it, it creates a robust conversation that I think a lot of people are uncomfortable having. No, it's a very uncomfortable conversation. It's not one that you or I like to talk about <laughs> at all because uh, because it, it is it's just such a sticky wicket uh, all the way around. Because uh, I, I do have major concerns about letting children make you know lifelong decisions. Uh, there's a reason why we aren't allowed to drink till we're 21 because it's got to do with brain trans. Uh, formation you know we're we're in our early 20s before we really have a fully formed mind and probably in our 30s before we before i I really knew who i was right i mean looking back with the hindsight of of a guy at middle age uh, you know my idea of who i was and it wasn't a a gender issue uh, but it changed over time and uh, and it was really in my 30s and and to some degree in my 40s where i began to uh, understand what made me tick what my boundaries were uh, what mattered to me, and yeah, I think that's something to to keep in mind. And we talk about the mental health issues. If uh, and look, I'm I'm not a doctor. I'm not an expert on this issue. I'm not well versed in transgender issues. But if you have male body parts and think that you are a female, uh, the gender dysphoria or whatever it's it's called, uh, that sounds like something that's you know. Uh, uh, that is a, a mental health issue. And again, I'm not an expert on it, but I, I, I understand the advocates for transgender folks talking about the mental health issue. I, I agree that that's a big part of it. I just don't know how it all plays out. And this is an issue where the ball has moved really, really fast in a really short period of time. Society doesn't respond well to issues like that that move too fast. You're going to see a tapping of the brakes. And I think that's what you see here in these policies is a bit of, whoa, 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 let's slow all this down just a little bit and wait till we have a better understanding of what's happening. 
Well, I think this is at the point where our fearless leader, Lisa Rand, would say, uh, thank you, Theron Johnson, who is the CEO and, and founder of Paramount Consulting Group, a uh, bipartisan government affairs and advocacy firm and democratic strategist. And now, Brian, I'll kick it over to you to say what she says. Um, and we'll go from there. I'm Brian Robinson, the president of Robinson Republic, a public affairs communications firm in Atlanta. And I was previously a Republican communicator for officials such as former Governor Nathan Deal. Thank you so throw, much. And I got to throw that I was a senior advisor for the Biden-Harris Jordan. <laughs> you know, we won that. But hey, Brian, I think real quick as we close, just special shout out to, to Lily, our, our wonderful uh, producer, and, and hope Lisa is getting some rest. And thank you listeners for we hear it all over the city and all over the state you know brian as i told you we got folks down in burke county georgia which is near augusta listening to this podcast and i know a lot of legislators listen to it as well so thank you all so much for tuning in every week absolutely we appreciate the listeners and want to do some more live events so please have us come speak to your industry or community group we would love to do it thank you all so much and have a great week the world has changed from shifts in power to a mental health crisis So with all this social change, how do we balance the human desire for empathy, the business need for productivity, and the hope to make an impact in our community? This is a new podcast, The Social Impact Leader. I'm Jeff Schinnebarker. Join me as we explore people doing work a little different. Available every Wednesday at wabe.org forward slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. W-A-B-E. From WABE Studios, the podcast where they read stories is a new children's storytelling podcast featuring notable Atlantans and performers reading classic and contemporary children's books. Each episode contains a story meant to entertain, inspire, and inform young listeners. No screens required. The podcast where they read stories features adaptations from both chapter books and picture books. Join us at WABE.org slash stories podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. W-A-B-E.